This episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast is brought to you by Heart and Home, Heartbeat International's maternity housing e-newsletter. You can sign up today at www.heartbeatservices.org slash resources. Well, welcome Pregnancy Help Podcast listeners. This is Valerie Humes, uh, Director of the National Maternity Housing Coalition. Today, I'm here with Amber Hornsby, who is the Founder and Executive Director of Esther Homes and Twin Cities, Minnesota. Amber, did I get that right? You did. Thank you. (laughs) So today is a fun day for me. Amber has agreed to be an open book and to let me pick her brain about um, principles of the kingdom uh, and just lessons learned over time in operating in this maternity home ministry setting, which is so unique, right? So I'm excited to do that. I'm very grateful, Amber, that you have let me ask you a bunch of questions and on air at that. So thank you for that. Uh, Today we're We're going to be talking about a couple of basics. Uh, Some of it we'll be talking about our approach to serving women. How do we decide, you know, which needs to serve and when? Um, And then also we're going to be talking about this bigger picture concept about freedom, Uh, resident freedom. We know that they need some freedom to be able to learn and grow, but then we also know that There can't be too much freedom because we also need to manage the home and keep a safe and calm environment in the home. And this can become complex and confusing. Uh, Almost every day, it seems like there's a new situation that arises in the home. Uh, So we'll be jumping into that and asking some questions about that. So before we get into it, Amber, why don't you tell us, you know, who you are and about Esther Holmes? Yeah, thanks, Valerie. I, again, am Amber. I am, like Valerie said, co-founder and executive director of Esther Homes. We just celebrated six years this past July. Um, I have a background in social work. I have traveled a lot, which I feel like has helped kind of with the framework and the heart behind the work that we do. Um, Yeah, I live in the home with our families. I moved in the same day our first two families moved in to our home and we've just been going ever since. Well, that's exciting. I didn't know that part that you moved in the same day. We sure did. <laughs> that I'm sure that makes for good um campfire stories. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell us can you describe the typical profile of a resident who lives at Esther Holmes? Yep, absolutely. So our families are on average between 18 and 25 years of age. Um, 95% of them have graduated um, from the foster care system. Um, 95% of them lost their primary caretaker, mom, grandmother by the age of 12 to 14. Um, Most are, as they're aging out, are finding themselves homeless um, with nowhere to go and pregnant with questioning am I able to keep this baby or am I not? So that's kind of our demographic. So can you tell us, tell us about Esther Holmes and your approach. There are so many models and um, many values and mission statements for all of us. Uh, And we we love the uniqueness of it all. But today we really want to know what is your 
frame of mind or your viewpoint uh, when you are approaching this sometimes messy ministry with our ladies? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as we were praying into the vision and the mission of Esther Holmes, um, we we were, we just kind of came up with this idea from Acts and we saw this image of a table. Um, in Acts 6, it talks about um, that the disciples were complaining um, that their widows weren't being served. They weren't getting their basic needs met, this food. And for us, we kind of envision more than just widows, but these mothers, these single mothers or these women's kind of on the edge, um, that they weren't being served and they were being neglected. Um, and when they were approached, it was more of this just idea of, we need to disciple. You told us to go and preach and instead of serving, like serving's kind of this waste of time or sitting with these these humans and giving them basic needs was kind of this waste of time. Um, but Stephen obviously was appointed to serve. And it goes on um, to say that he, I mean, he was just, it frightened the kingdom of darkness and his work of just approaching these tables and serving these basic needs. And so from that, we just really felt called to this image of a table that these women would come and be around this table and we would just sit with them and and be with them and listen to them. And that was the work of maternity home for us was just being and showing up. Um, yes, there is there is something to be said about discipling and preaching but also there is something that frightens the work of the darkness by just sitting and serving these basic needs at the table. And so for us, that's what love looked like. It was showing up every single day in the mess, in the easy, in the fun, um, which is coming around this table with the women we do life with. That is such an interesting concept. It reminds me of the life of Christ. And you've got this kind of big concept to try to wrap your mind around. You've got God of all creation that put himself and his unlimited, unmatched glory and power in a human body (laughs) because he loved us. So he limited his own self, put himself in a human body, came down. That was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And while he was here on earth, (laughs) he sat and ate with those that were spiritually hungry and thirsty mm-hmm. with sinners. And while he did that, he received criticism. You know, it. you're right. It shook the kingdom of darkness. People said, what are you doing? And do you even know who you're sitting with? Mm-hmm. Um, and he did. That was important to him. It was so important that he was willing to leave his throne to put himself in a human flesh body so that he could spend his days sitting at the table eating with sinners and meeting their true hunger and their true thirst. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I I haven't connected that with the maternity home ministry prior to this, but that's, it's a beautiful principle to think about. So tell me this, um, getting going here, what was surprising to you in your first year of operation? (laughs) Oh, um, there was all the stuff that came up in me. It wasn't the situations that maybe the families brought, um, how they reacted, how they behaved. It was how I responded that was most surprising. Um, I think as someone who was from the groundwork of the organization and deciding on kind of guidelines and, and program, 
you know, you, I went into it thinking, Oh, I've got this, like, no problem. (laughs) Um, and then life on life, it's messy. I mean, these women come with stories and experiences and traumas that we know, or I knew that were coming. Um, I had worked in shelter, so I kind of had this like array of what could come. However, when you're actually living in it and, and you're in those moments, I was surprised that how I was just, I was broken and I didn't necessarily always react with love or patience or kindness that, that I'm given every single day in my relationship with Christ. But, um, how I, I, I took a deep, I had to take a deep dive because I was really kind of wrecked and all over the place. Like I have this program and these rules and, your behaviors aren't matching up with it. And now what do I do? There's this person in front of me and, and now what? And so it, it shook me at my core and, um, I had to really sit with Jesus in it, um, for a long time, which again, our basic principle of this table and this idea of showing up, it, that's what grounds us when we feel like we've overstepped or responded in a way that, Christ wouldn't have. Um, we come back to this. How do you show up, Jesus, in this moment? How do you love this person? How do you hope for this person when right now that seems so hopeless? Um, you hope for me even when I'm just a disaster and a wreck. And so I think that was most surprising was all of the not so nice parts of me kind of came out. Um and I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was there. Or I didn't know I struggled with this until those moments. So it was definitely uh, either I dig really deep with him and kind of surrender a lot in order to do this work and be able to show up well every day. Or I am not really maybe cut out for this because these women really deserve a space of someone just to to be there with them and walk through the muck, even if it makes me feel really uncomfortable. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that answers my question <laughs> perfectly. And one thing that you said stands out to me that I hear all the time is maybe I'm not cut out for this. These women deserve better than me. And one thing I found is guess what? The next person is just as inadequate and just as needy for Christ and the Holy Spirit as we are. And sometimes I have found with myself and with others, maybe you found this as well. We think, one, did the Lord really call me to this? And then two, Lord, did you pick right? (laughs) Are you sure? Oh, yeah. And what it, this. I'm still saying that some days, like, are you, is this for real Jesus? Like, are, are you sure you still want me to do this? Do I really have what it takes to show up? And then he's like, yeah, absolutely. I show up and you can show up. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to get it wrong. But I asked you to love every day. And in that there's grace to show up every single day in it. Even when I, in my own flesh fail. So it sounds like in your first year, um, it sounds like you would take uh, the character and the ways and the habits of Christ and then take yours and line them up and you could see kind of what doesn't match, which <laughs> which of these two things are not the same. Right. And that I would imagine is uncomfortable and hard. Would you say it was worth it, though? 
Um, it is still worth it because I'm still being <laughs> challenged and I'm yeah. still dealing and working through things. And, and it, and it just shows the work that we do is human. It's not so much program. And yes, we have these guidelines and, and programs set in place that, you know, we, we've designed that we believe will help women move forward. However, the work that we do is just being human. And in that, you're constantly going to be feeling the weight of life and the weight of your own personal muck or grossness that you're always constantly growing in your own relationship with him. And from that, as long as you're willing to face it and kind of move in it with him, then there's grace to move in the space of the home. I'm thinking about the profile of the women that you described and thinking about your first year and everything going on and um, all that the Lord is doing in you in this first year and now over six years. Um, and I'm wondering this, this sounds like I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that these residents come with an abundance of unmet needs. Would you say that's true? Um. Yes. <laughs> so here's the deal. And then needs is, you know, you have to remember, like, there is a definition and a broad spectrum of what needs actually is. There's the physical, tangible ones, and then there's the emotional ones. And so some of their tangible ones aren't as as big as as the emotional ones, or, you know. So, yes, there is a, an abundance of need when these women come with the demographic of women we serve. So that realistically, as much as we want to emulate Christ, you're not Christ, <laughs> We know that. <laughs> and we know that you can't meet every need. So which needs have you found to be the most critical and how do you prioritize which ones to meet first? Yeah. So um, again, we're human. And so there's just basic things that, that we need. We need food. Um, it's nice to have shelter, uh, clothes. Um, those are kind of basic needs, but we kind of have broken down into three three kind of phases of needs that we see that encompass the entire woman. Um, and we have learned that as she's just trying to figure out her life and become an adult and becoming a mom, that the more simple you can make things, the easier it is for them to, to understand the expectation of what you can actually help and come alongside them and provide with, as well as them taking the steps forward. It's it's really all about the simplicity of it because they're working through their own stories and their traumas and behaviors that have been learned, whether it's, you know, not so good coping skills or X, Y, Z, that the more simple you can make the need break down into phases, the easier it is for her to walk them out. And then easier it is for you as a home or a staff or a people and community to really come alongside of her and serve her well. Um, and so we basic down into you know, basic needs are the most critical. That's number one. That's like food, um, shelter, obviously your home's giving her that, uh, making sure she feels safe in this space. That's, that's key for, for making sure she can breathe and be able to show up to her life and, and in your home. Um, we value in that basic need kind of thing of time. She's going to need a little bit of time to get settled, um, in your space. Uh, to kind of understand the ropes of your home, the other women in your home, relationship with you. Um, we do a lot of fun. 
that's like a big basic need. We've seen fun be such a key for healing um, in our family's lives. Um, and also it keeps us sane as well when it gets hard, because if there's fun, then we get to play too, um, since we're doing life on life. So that's kind of this first phase, your basic needs. Um, phase two for us would be other needs that are really critical to the well-being of mom and baby. That would be like her prenatal care, um, mental health supports in place, any medications that she is on currently or needing to be on and that is taking them. Um, and then the program she needs to either get involved with or is already currently involved on um, through the community or the state. Um, and again, that first phase that I just described, that basic need, that can we can stay in that phase for a week to a couple months with her because we the importance of her feeling safe is critical to her being able to walk out some of the long-term goals, which is our last phase, um, to being able to really show up to her life. That stability and that safety is so key. Um, so sometimes we'll stay in that first phase for days to weeks. It depends on the mom. Um, and, and there's a shift. And I know that you guys will all see it in your homes when a mom really does start to feel safe and stable. Um, and then our last kind of phase of, of meeting needs is that goals. Like we all want to see a mom achieve greatness and we all want to see her really fully step into healing and wholeness. Um, and so that's kind of that long-term goal with her. Like, what are your goals? What are your dreams? And how do we help you tangibly take those steps to getting there? But if she doesn't feel stable and safe, sometimes that last goal and that phase conversation is almost a waste of time. Um, she can think through it, but if she doesn't feel safe and stable, her, her approach to that's going to still be in survival and her decisions are going to be really scattered and, and thinking through those goals. So for us, basic needs, that first one time relationship and fun is critical. I was just thinking about that's such an important nugget an important takeaway. Um, kind of sometimes there's this moment in a podcast where I think, well, if that's the one thing that anyone took away from a podcast, that would be okay. And I'm thinking about that, about the residents felt safety and what you're highlighting there. So often it is common practice for all of us to want to focus on her goals and her progress and um, productivity which in and of itself are all good and holy things. Mm -hmm. But you're right, without her ability to feel safe, not just be safe, um, we know that there isn't a, a bear in the room. We know there isn't an immediate threat of life, but her feeling that doubt in her bones that she is cared for and secure I can see that being the the ticket and the key to really being able to work on those goals. And one thing you said that really pierced my heart that I hope I, I keep with me is that working on those goals can really be a waste of time if she doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. That's important. And I could see how the reliance on the Holy Spirit in that moment is critical because each woman, I would imagine it's like a different formula or a different recipe for her personal felt safety. Mm -hmm. Would yeah. you say that's true? I would say that's true. And, you know, we tell all, we speak to our families in a way like 
your timeline, your goals, your how you the steps you take, your A plus B equals C is going to look very different than the mom across the hall from you. And our job is to come alongside of you. You're the voice in this process and you are taking the steps and I'm just going to come alongside of you and I'm going to listen and I'm going to say, okay, well, what about this? Have you thought about this? But I really, we really want to see them take control of their lives because when they feel safe, they're able to make decisions that are long lasting. They're not in survival mode. They're not in, I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to stay in this program. They're not just jumping through hoops, but they're actually voicing who they are and they're able to then make decisions and, and be real in their conversations about what they're experiencing or why they're not moving forward because you're giving them that safety, that net, that relationship and that time. And they're not feeling this pressure of, I have to achieve all these checkboxes in order to still have my basic need of a home or shelter met. Um, and so for us, we really do focus and stay in that basic need phase pretty much the entire time that they're in the home. And then we kind of tap into the other phases as we see, you know, and, uh, most of it's just prayer and we get it wrong all the time. Like we overstep, we understep, we should move and don't move. We speak out of line, you know, we tell them what we think in our opinions, but we really do try to try to remain kind of in this space of I'm just coming alongside of you. You're in charge of your life. You have to take ownership of it. You have to do the hard work. I just get to cheer you on and constantly remind you of the worth that you have and your heart and how important and special and loved you are. So that leads very seamlessly into my next thought and question for you, because that leads me into thinking about um, her freedom. Right. So we know, yes, we want to give her, you know, the safety to make mistakes and to learn. But we also know that there has to be some limitations and some and some structure in the home. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like there's this competing concept that we battle in maternity ministry. We know that Jesus gives us all freedoms and we also know that Jesus gives us all limitations and so it feels like it's this balancing act of trying to walk out and emulate the way that Christ manages that with us and us wanting to do that with the residents in the home. That can get very difficult. So we know that freedom is a gift given to us by God himself. And we know that God gives us limits about how we should use that freedom. How would you say we can balance this concept of freedom for the residents within the home setting? Yeah, um, it is messy and it is challenging. Um, but we, again, we're still back to our foundation of this table image, this just showing up, this I'm going to love you like Christ loved us. And within that, we recognize Jesus gave us free will. Um, I, I mean, I... I'm one to speak highly of the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I think it's full of incredible nuggets of just life um, of people who are who feel inadequate or feel like they don't have the experience to show up in what God's called them to, but yet they just faithfully show up every day. And so for the Old Testament, for me, it, it, it paints this picture of how we want to show up in, in, in our homes. And I think of like 
even the people when in Kings, like when they were telling God, we want a man to rule over us because we think that they'll provide this order and this program and this government. And we need that. And God kept saying, but I'm your King. I will give you everything you need. Just look to me. And he knew that having a man as King and ruling over them would hurt them in some ways. Um, And it wasn't best for them, but he still allowed for it to happen. He still allowed them to elect kings and vote kings into this space of ownership and control. And he never left them. Like even when it failed, he was still there and he still provided for them. And so for uh, for me, that paints this picture of um, we do have guidelines in the home and we do have expectations in the home that are to keep everyone in the home safe. However, we, as this governing type of authority, really want to bring everyone into this thing that there's a bigger governing authority over us. And that is Christ. Like, yes, he has entrusted me to have authority in the home and to speak into these women's lives and to maintain safety. However, he's the one who shows up in all of that. Like we are very aware that our families will push our guidelines. They will break our rules. They will challenge us um, in the authority space, but they're also coming in with (laughs) stories and experiences that have created bad habits, that behaviors that have been formed through lenses of survival, fear, and shame, and lack of worth, traumas that leave me feeling hopeless and paralyzed. And in order to work through that, there has to be this balance of freedom and of, of authority. And so I, I, I know I'm kind of all over the place and I'm going to, and I'm going to kind of bring it back in, but we as a home want it to be a safe place to fail. Our heart is that these women um, are just constantly pointed back to the love of Christ in the moments of when they feel like they fail, that there is grace. Now, when our families push up against our guidelines, we have heart to heart conversations with them and we have real life conversations like this isn't okay. We, in order to be here, we have to maintain X, Y, or Z for the safety and well-being of you and your child and the rest of the home. Now we can work together to come up with the solution that you feel comfortable with as well as we, and we can work towards that. Or maybe we just find a better place that you're going to grow in. And so at every twist and at every turn, we really just sit with them. I've always told our staff to find their heart because if we can find their heart, oftentimes we see why the behavior that we're seeing is is there, why it's there, or why they're acting out. And then it oftentimes will self-correct itself. Um, I, I, there's this image, um, I'd, I'd read it a couple of months ago, and I feel like it's really relevant to the work that we do. Um, it was somebody had gotten a tattoo that said, Judas ate too. And I, you know, and I was like, what? That's crazy. But it's just this idea that before the death of Jesus, they all came around the table again to eat. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And yet he ate with him and he sat with him and he still gave him the free will to make a decision that, you know, caused a crucifixion. And so he fed Judas. He prayed with Judas and for Judas. He washed his feet. Um, And to like understand and fathom that love, knowing that this person in front of him was still going to choose something that would in turn hurt them or hurt him 
he still showed up. And so that's kind of how we frame freedom in our home is they might make decisions that are not good decisions or good decisions that I don't agree with, but sometimes they have to make it and have the freedom to make it to learn and grow from it. But we're going to show up and we're going to challenge it and we're going to love them in it. And we're going to speak truth into it because that's what Jesus did is he always spoke truth into sitting, sharing with his disciples and the people, these stories, they weren't you do this, you do that. They were stories where people could learn truth and feel loved and taken care of in and from. So that is, it's a, that's a great point to think about, uh, about Judas in particular, because it reminds me of how often sometimes we are sitting at the table with those that don't really want it, right? That reject love, that reject mm-hmm. presence. And it is, very easy for us to allow offense to come into our hearts at that moment. And so Christ is such a great example of what love really does look like love without expectation Mm -hmm. in that moment and love without uh, reciprocity, right? Just giving love, eating together, praying and serving and leaving the rest between that person and their God. Mm-hmm. So that that's a, it's a point of encouragement for me whenever I hear that. So um, let me bring it back down to practicality for us. What are some practical ways in everyday life to provide limits to residents to keep a safe environment for everyone while also still giving them this space and freedom that we've been talking about for her to learn and fail and grow. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we have program eligibilities. We require a a mom or a woman to be working at at minimum part-time. We require them to be in some sort of furthering education um, or college kind of path of education. Um, Or even if they are really, if their mental health or trauma is, pretty severe, they can substitute this working for like outpatient kind of therapy or counseling, because we recognize that her health and well-being as a, as a woman is going to play over into being a really good mom. And then we require them to do some financial literacy and save 30% of their total income every month that they get back at the end of their stay in full. Um, and, and so those are, those are things that keep them focused and grounded and moving towards family stability, because that's our mission is that these people come in and have wholeness and move are moving towards family stability. Um, Other practical ways are we have curfew set in the home. We don't allow weapons in the home, no illegal substance in or used in the home. Um, We do allow guests to come in, but they have to be uh, notified to the staff or the executive director within a timeline before they even enter the home. Um, we want to make sure that everyone in the home constantly feels safe with whoever's in the space. And so even volunteers, they know when people are coming in and out of the home. Again, it goes back to that basic need where these women feel safe um, constantly, whether it's the physical need or the emotional need and the spiritual need. Um, We really value honor and respect in our home. In fact, there is a document that we have them sign that we sign with them um, about how we 
treat each other in the home, how we treat the staff, how we treat our unborn child or our child who's already been born, how we talk on the phone when we're interacting with other friends or family members, um, how we interact if family members come into this space. Um, and so we kind of hone that in. It's kind of our underlying thing. So if if things get out of hand, we kind of bring it back to we're supposed to honor and respect and love one another. That's what God calls us to do as humans. And so we just bring it back in and we're able to have a conversation and again, find their heart because that's what God is always doing to us is he looks at our heart. He judges our hearts. So we always try to find their heart if they are, you know, having a moment of outburst and we all experience those moments of unkind words that are just outbursts. It's like a release, whether it's at a situation or a family or a friend or another person in the home or a staff we can kind of hone in on this idea of we're honoring, we're a culture of honoring and a community of honoring and respecting one another. And that is, and how we treat each other and how um, we treat the space. Um, So we do have the practical things that are set in place. And because we have those practical things, we can really allow for other freedoms to happen in the day to day of their personal life and their personal journey of how they're showing up and moving forward. So that that's helpful. I think that that it breeds lots of questions, right? Because we just wonder uh, how much liberty is too much liberty. And of course, we don't want to set a resident up for failure uh, with that liberty. But we also know that uh, restricting too much or too tight not only can cause some inadvertent chaos in the home, but it can also stifle her growth and maturity. And so it, it can feel a bit like a burden sometimes to figure out figure out that balance. Uh, but it does make me think, I, I heard you reference some, some things as you were talking, like you meet needs in phases and in tiers. You have program eligibilities. Um, so it sounds like it, it's not all freedom. It's not all loose. There are some structures and boundaries there. How... What outcomes have you chosen at Esther Home, or what should I say that Esther Home and your board, mm-hmm. uh, which outcomes have y'all chosen to track for the residents? And how did you come about choosing those outcomes to track? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as our homes, I mean, there is a plethora of things we could track. Um, but for us as an organization and as a home, we chose... Um, to track items that are moving a woman and family towards her family stability. So maternal and birth outcomes, that's huge. Um, thriving and postpartum and bonding with baby. Um, is she, you know, having one of those perinatal outcomes of postpartum depression or anxiety? Is she able to bond with baby in that space? Have we had to reach out to postpartum supports to help her walk through that? Um, achievements of personal goals set. Um, and that again is personalized to that particular mom, but we can say there's X amount of goals that have been set and met. Um, you don't have to break it down into every single goal that has been met. That's, that would be a long list of crazy that nobody would ever really care to see or read, but we can just say how many goals have been set and met. Um, you know, we saw that these were, were huge as far as partnering with other organizations in our community, asking for grant fundings. They're wanting to see 
and those spaces that your home is actually working or making a difference. And so that is the very programmatic space of what we track. Now, internally, we track different things like how many birth classes does she, does she attend her birth classes? Is she attending all her prenatal appointments? Um, is baby preterm or full term birth weights, breastfeeding or formula fed, um, attends all her postpartum and newborn appointments, uh, that she's promoting a healthy bond between mom and baby that, you know, we see that she's caring for this child, that she's not just leaving it in the crib or the pack and play, or, you know, that she's really trying to do those active things for, for healthy bonding. Uh, completion, again, of further educational courses, um, attains a driving permit or driver's license in the home. Half of our moms have gotten permits while they've been in the home and half of them are now driving and have their own cars. So that's like huge for us because we recognize that's a key for long-term family stability. Uh, maintains a job for longer than three months. We see our families come in and work and then, you know, all of a sudden somebody makes them angry and they just quit. Like they, we're seeing that a lot more in this, in this generation rising where they're very opinionated. They're very outspoken, which is great. However, they're also in need of just some like skills, like just because someone makes you mad doesn't mean you just quit your job. That's not helping you reach your long-term goals. So that gives space as a home and staff to speak in truth into, into her life. And then of course the savings program. So those are like easy, tangible things that, that we record. So are you tracking um, any outcomes or their progress after they leave your home? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, for us, as Jesus asked for a relationship with us, he wants, he gives us guidelines and, and rules and parameters within scripture to follow. But more than that, he seeks relationship with us. And it's all about that, that up and downward relationship between our heart and him. Um, and so for us, that's what we've, again, tried to mirror into the home is this like relationship as key, um, even sometimes above behaviors. We just care about the relationship and maintaining it because we, again, recognize the long term impact that we could have in this person's life if we were to show grace in a situation that might make myself feel uncomfortable, um, that God would show grace. So we have great working relationships with all of our alumni families. Um, and so we continue to track just different things with them. Again, continued secure and healthy bonding between mom and child, um, that the children are still with the moms, you know, long-term, uh, completion of con further education. Some of them are working on it while they're in the home and then don't complete it until they're, they've moved away. Um, again, some of them are working towards permits and driver's license, and some of them don't get it while they're in the home, but they do afterwards. Again, maintaining jobs um, for longer than three months, living in their own stable housing for longer than six months. Um, that's that's a big deal for us if they've able, been able to do that. And then the connection with our home and our community. How often do they request help or donations? How often do they return to house events? Because they're always invited to anything and everything we do. Um, and how's the relationship with them? Is it good? Great? Do we not talk? Do they only reach out when they need something? Um, and that's just for a personal, that's just for us personally to kind of gauge how we're doing, reaching out and being in contact with them. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like 
continuity here um that you you really are tracking the same things after they leave that you were tracking while they live with you is that pretty much the gist of it we do we because a lot of them start and some of them don't start really working on their goals until three to six months of living in here because that's how long it takes for them to finally settle Instead of always thinking they have to be, you know, quote unquote, hustling or in survival mode, like it, uh, it's some jump right into like life and healing and wholeness in a couple months and some it takes months to years. Um, And again, we're on this long term goal, just like Jesus is in this long term, lifelong relationship with us. That's something we value with them um, so much because if we can maintain a relationship, their time in the home, even if it sometimes is uncomfortable, we still get to sow seeds every single day of love and wholeness and worth and healing and pointing back to him. But if we keep the relationship, even after they move out, then there's still more room for growth and healing and wholeness and for us to continue to pour in. And for some moms, it's taken years and years and years before we've seen any kind of desire of change in her heart. And I think back to how easily it would have been to just feel hopeless for her in the moment and say, this is just never going to work. But now years later, seeing all of the time and love that, you know, and the constant asking God to give us deeper capacities to, to love her in those moments that were really hard has, has paid off. So as we wrap this up, I want to ask you one of my favorite questions to ask people. (laughs) Uh, so here's here it is my favorite question what is one attribute that you've discovered about god through this ministry season um that he's immutable he never changes um i you know you know all these attributes of god and you know church and christian communities constantly speak of of these attributes but um our work that we do every day changes and it, there's ebbs and flows and there's messy and there's hard and there's fun. And it's so easy for us sometimes in the, in the heart to throw our hands up and be like, ah, I can't do this anymore. Um, but just his steadfastness and his, the fact that he never changes and you can lean back into the principles and the heart of who he is to continue to help guide us and the work that we do. Um, knowing that even though life changes, so like on a dime with the women we do life with, and even in ourselves that he, you can lean on him because he's going to be steady for you through all the changes. It's a great point. And it's, it's, um, comforting to think about, you know, life can change on a dime, as you mentioned, yet the Lord doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And, and he knew that change was coming and he's, he's there in the thick of it with us. Uh, and that's just provides a feeling of grounding mm-hmm. and comfort. I think about it. So uh, tell us how can listeners connect with you and follow the work of Esther Holmes? Oh, fun. Um, well, social media, we have, you know, Facebook and Instagram. You can check those out and follow us. Um, I don't know how to get you guys my personal information, but you guys can just reach out personally to me. Um, you can find us on our website. Do you want me to list the actual? Okay. 
Um, Go for it. We want to hear the website or whatever it is you want to share. So website is www.estherhome.org. And you guys can get connected directly. My email's on there. Um, Message us. Contact Valerie and Valerie can get you my information. Um, Yeah, we, we love what we do. We love our families dearly. They have all just become inspirations and we've learned so much from them over the last six years. And it's, it's beautiful when you allow the realness and the rawness of humanness to, to be in the home, just like Christ allows us to be human um, in relationship with him. So. Well, I appreciate it. And for those, if you are not already connected uh, with me and with the National Maternity Housing Coalition, reach out to me. Um, you can reach me at housing at heartbeatinternational.org. It's housing at heartbeatinternational.org. And I will do the rest of the legwork for you to help you get connected. Every month we have um, podcasts with helpful, relevant information Uh, webinars for your staff and volunteers or even board members. And then our website is full of resources for our Heartbeat affiliates and members of the National Maternity Housing Coalition. So our main goal here is to see you thrive and succeed in what God has called you to do in the maternity ministry setting in your pregnancy help movement. So whatever that is, I want to know about it. I want to hear about it. And I'm doing my best to meet you right there in that moment in your place of need. So I enjoyed our time together. Amber, thank you so much for sharing with us. And we will connect with you again next month for our pregnancy help podcast.